Let's jump right into our study this afternoon by going to the Gospel of Luke. Can I invite you to Luke with me? Luke chapter 2. I think these passages in the Gospel of Luke will set up perfectly the things we want to talk about in our lesson from the Word of God. In Luke chapter 2, we read about what took place after the Lord Jesus was born. And the Scripture says in Luke 2 and verse 8, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news, good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Announcements. Announcements. You ever made any significant announcements before in your life. I've had to make many significant announcements before. For example, when I turned 18 years old, I sent out a a bunch of invitations to people that I knew and loved, announcing to them that I was about to graduate from high school. And when I turned 20 years old, I announced to a few people that I had plans on getting married. And back in March of 2019, I announced to some brethren that I loved in Middle Tennessee that my family and I were moving to to Phoenix to help the Lord's people in that part of the country. And then probably the biggest announcements I've ever made in my life took place in the years of 2009 and 2015. In both of those years, I announced to people that my wife and I were expecting children. I made a lot of significant announcements before my life, and I'm pretty sure you have as well, but let me tell you, all of our announcements combined don't begin to compare to the significance of the announcement that is made here in Luke chapter 2. I want you to notice how in Luke chapter 2, in these verses we just considered together, some angels of God, angels of God, make a very important announcement they make a very important announcement to some shepherds in a field, to some shepherds who were tending their flocks near the town of Bethlehem. Angels announced that someone had been born in Bethlehem. Someone had been born in the city of David. Jesus, Jesus had been born in the city of David. Here angels announce the birth of Jesus, and my question is, why would angels announce that? Why would angels announce the birth of Jesus? I mean, did you have angels announce your birth? Did you have angels tell a bunch of people that that you were born on the day in which you were born? Did even well-known, significant historical figures like, like George Washington? or Abraham Lincoln, or Julius Caesar, or Queen Elizabeth II? Did they have angels who announced their birth? You and I both know the answer to that question. You and I both know the answer to that is no. 
No angels did not announce our birth. No angels did not announce the birth of those well-known historical figures I just listed for you, but they did announce the birth of Jesus. They announced the birth of Jesus to shepherds in a field, and again, why would angels do that? Why would angels announce the birth of Jesus? I mean, what makes the birth of Jesus so special? Well, I want to suggest that there are at least four things, four things that makes the birth of Jesus so special, four reasons why angels why angels celebrated and announced his birth. And the first reason why is because Jesus' birth was the fulfillment of a promise. It was the fulfillment of a promise. It was the fulfillment of a promise that was made by God. I think we see this in Matthew chapter 1. Will you make your way, please, to Matthew chapter 1? Matthew chapter 1. And here we read about an angel, an angel of God, announcing the birth of Jesus to Joseph, telling him about the birth of Jesus. Joseph was a man who was engaged to be married, married to Mary, the mother of Jesus, but he's about to put her away. He doesn't want to marry her anymore because she's pregnant. She's with a child, and he knows the child's not his, he knows he hasn't been in a sexual relationship with her. And so an angel says to, says to him in verse, in verse number 20, it says when he had considered this, when he had considered putting Mary away because he believed she had been unfaithful, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this, look at verse 22, now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. You know, one of the great things about being a parent, and I think I can speak for all the parents when I say this this afternoon, one of the great things about being a parent, one of the exciting things about that is usually we got time to prepare for the arrival of our kids, right? Usually when, when we get pregnant, we got about nine months. Got about nine months to get ready for your child. For nine months, you got time to buy a crib. You got time to get those diapers. You got time to prepare the nursery paint the walls of that nursery, either blue or pink. You got time to enjoy your last few months of sleep for a very long time. We got nine months. We got nine months to get ready for the arrival of our child. But notice, that's not the way it was with Jesus. Notice how in the case of Jesus, there wasn't nine months of expectation for his arrival. Instead, the Bible says there were years. There were decades. There were even centuries. That's exactly what Matthew is trying to tell us in verse number 23 of this chapter. You see, there in verse number 23 of that chapter we just read from, you know what Matthew is doing? He's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the Old Testament prophets. He is telling us that in the writings of the prophets, particularly in the writing of Isaiah here, Isaiah predicted the coming of Jesus hundreds and hundreds of years in advance in both Isaiah chapter 7 and in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah, at least 700 years in advance, 
he predicted by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Jesus would be born of a virgin and he would be God. He would be God with us. He would be deity. He would have all the attributes of deity. He would be all-knowing and all-powerful and eternal. Other prophets make similar predictions. For example, Micah, the prophet Micah, at least 700 years in advance, he foretold the exact town in which Jesus was going to be born in. He said Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. He was going to be born in the same city from which King David would come from. And then you go to Daniel. You go to Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, and Daniel, at least 600 years in advance, he predicted how the Messiah Jesus was going to come into the world and establish a kingdom. He was going to establish a kingdom that would be everlasting and it would never be destroyed. And don't forget about the writings of Moses. At least 1,500 years in advance, Moses told the children of Israel that God was going to send a Savior, a Messiah, who was going to come into the world through them, and he was going to be a chief prophet, a superior prophet, superior even to him. And then you go all the way back to the garden. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve sinned against God and they were deceived by the devil, God promised in the garden to send a Savior, to send Jesus. And Jesus would crush the devil. He would crush him and put an end to his evil work. There are many other passages we could put on this slide, but here's the point. The point is the birth of Jesus was promised. It was promised by God. Before you even get to the opening of the Gospel of Matthew, the Old Testament scriptures were anticipating and preparing people for the arrival of Jesus. They were pointing to his arrival. They were talking about specific things that would be attached to his arrival. You know what that means practically? Young people, practically, that means this. That means that contrary to what you may hear from a lot of folks today, the Bible is not just a jumbled up mess. The, the Bible is not a bunch of just disconnected stories. The Bible is not just about this person begetting this person and then begetting that person. No, the Bible ultimately is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The Old Testament is all about Jesus. The Old Testament is all about preparing people for the coming of Jesus. And in the New Testament, we read about and we study about what happened when Jesus was here and how Jesus' work continues even today through us, his people. The birth of Jesus is announced by angels. It's special because it's the fulfillment of a great promise that God had made, but not only was it the fulfillment of a promise, secondly, it's special because it's miraculous. Miraculous. You know, we hear that word miracle thrown around a lot in our society today. Someone throws a 70-yard a touchdown pass to win a game, and we call, that a, we call that a miracle, right? Someone lands a plane in the Hudson River, and we call that a miracle, See, when we use the word miracle all the time, what we do is we water down the word, the word and we take away the significance of it in the case of the birth of Jesus. Go in your Bible, please, to Luke. I want to ask you to go in your Bible to Luke chapter 1, and I want you to notice how Jesus' birth was unlike any other birth in the history of the world. We go to Luke chapter 1, and we read about an angel who came to Mary, 
the mother of Jesus, the woman who would be the mother of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 1, in verse number 31, the angel said this to Mary. He said, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall, and you shall name him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child should be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, this is the mother of John the Baptist, has also conceived the son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month for nothing. Now watch that. Nothing is impossible with God. You know, one of the things that we all have in common is we all came into the world the same way. We all came into the world naturally. We all came into the world through the process of an earthly mother and an earthly father. I've never seen my father a day before my life. I've never even seen a picture of my father. Don't know what he looks like. Could walk by him on the street. And I know that was my father. He left before I was born. But just because I've never seen my father, never been held by my father, never talked to my father, that doesn't mean I don't have a father. I got a daddy, just like you have a daddy and a mother. We all came into the world the same way. But notice that wasn't the way it was with Jesus. Jesus didn't come into the world like us. Jesus didn't come into the world naturally and said he came into the world supernaturally. The Bible says he was born of a virgin. God placed him directly in Mary's womb. His birth is a powerful testimony to the amazing power of God. I mean, if God could make it so that his son could be born of a virgin, then as the angel told Mary, there is truly nothing impossible with God. There are truly no limits to God's power. God truly can do anything he wants, anytime he wants. Jesus' birth is special because it's the fulfillment of a promise. And it is miraculous. It's supernatural. It's unlike any other birth in the history of the world. But let's add to this, this point right here, how Jesus' birth is also special because his birth marked the coming of a king. The coming of a king into the world. You remember Matthew 2, verses 1 through 3, there we find those magi. Remember the magi? Sometime after Jesus was born, they go to King Herod, and they say, where is he who was born king of the Jews? They recognize Jesus was born to be a king. And then, are you still in Luke chapter 1? In Luke chapter 1, look at verse 32 again. The angel said he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne. A king sits on a throne. Will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. A kingdom must have a king. His kingdom will have no end. Notice how the angel mentions David, King David, at the end of verse 32, the man after God's own heart. We don't have time to read this this morning, but in 2 Samuel 7, if you go home and read 2 Samuel 7, you're going to see there God made David 
when he was the king, he made him a promise. He made him a promise. He promised to build David a house. David wanted to build God a house. No, God said, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a kingdom. I'm going to build you an everlasting kingdom. Your kingdom will have no end because I'm going to sit a superior descended on your throne forever. You see, Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. Jesus is the ultimate ruler and king who sits on the throne of David, even as I speak to you this afternoon. In fact, the kingdom that Jesus reigns over is the same kingdom that Daniel talked about in Daniel 2 in verse number 44. It is that spiritual kingdom that will never be destroyed and it will endure forever. It is that spiritual kingdom that is not of this world. It is that spiritual kingdom that contains those who have chosen. The key word is chosen. They have chosen to submit to him as the king. Jesus was born to be a king, but here's my question. Here's my question. Is he your king? Is he your king? Or are you part of his everlasting kingdom? Don't misunderstand what I mean when I ask that question. When I ask you that question, I'm not just asking you, have you been baptized? I'm not just asking you if, you, if you're part of the church or the church of Christ. You and I both know that the church and the kingdom are, 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 is often synonymous in the Bible. That's not what I mean when I ask that question. Instead, when I ask you this question, what I'm really driving at here is, is I'm really driving at, are you submitting to Jesus as the king? Are you submitting to him as the king in your daily life? In your daily life, are you giving King Jesus the ultimate say-so in your life? For those of us who are married, are we giving Jesus, King Jesus, the ultimate say-so in our marriage? Are we giving him the ultimate say-so, young people, and how you conduct yourself with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend? Are you giving him the ultimate say in the kind of friends you choose to have and the kind of stuff you're putting on social media and the kind of movies you're watching and the kind of stuff you're streaming on Netflix and, and other streaming channels? Are you giving him the ultimate say-so in the kind of clothes you're choosing to put on your body and even the kind of stuff you're choosing to put inside of your body? If you answer no to any of those questions, then the fact of the matter is this. The fact of the matter is Jesus is the king over a spiritual kingdom that will never be destroyed, but unfortunately, he's not your king. He's not the king of your life right now. You're not allowing him to rule in your life and reign over your life. You're not giving him the ultimate say-so in your life that he demands as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus' birth is significant. It's significant because it's the fulfillment of a promise. It's supernatural. It marked the birth of the highest king there is, but let's close with this. It's also significant because Jesus was born to bring peace. It marked the birth of the one who came to bring peace to mankind. We see that when we go back to Luke chapter 2. Let's go back to where we started this afternoon. Remember what the shepherds saw, what they heard when they saw these angels. Imagine seeing this, these angels 
these angels celebrating the birth of Jesus. And again, in verse number 13, it says, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Now watch this. Peace among men with whom he's pleased. Notice how these verses tell us that Jesus was born for a very specific purpose. He was born to bring peace. He was born to bring peace to men. Isaiah, in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, he predicted that Jesus would be the prince of peace. What does that mean? What does it mean that he's the prince of peace? What does it mean that Jesus came into the world to bring peace? Well, before I tell you what that means, let me first tell you what it doesn't mean. Let me first submit that Jesus, being the Prince of Peace, being one who came to bring peace, that doesn't mean that Jesus came to eliminate wars. He didn't come to eliminate wars and rumors of wars. It doesn't, it doesn't mean what you find on the Christmas cards. On the holiday cards, it doesn't mean that, that we are to have peace and, and goodwill towards others during the holiday season and, and, and year round. While we need to strive to do that, while we need to strive to be at peace with people, this verse is not talking about that. This verse is not talking about the peace that is to come from us to other people. Instead, this verse is talking about the spiritual peace that comes from God to us. It is talking about the peace, the spiritual peace that God offers us through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, through Jesus Christ, through what he did at the cross, we can be at peace with God. We can have a relationship with God. We can receive forgiveness, be reconciled, and avoid experiencing God's wrath. The angel of God actually makes reference to this in verse 11 of the chapter. When he says, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior. Jesus was born to be a savior. He was born to die, to save us from our sins, who is Christ the Lord. Remember going back to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. The angel said to Joseph that Mary was going to bear a son and his name was going to be Jesus and he was going to save his people from their sins. The Apostle Paul in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. In Titus 2 and verse 11, Paul says that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And then in John 3 and verse 16, that well-known verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You put all those verses together, and you know what you're forced to see? You're forced to see that Jesus was born for a specific purpose. He was born not just to sit on the throne of David forever and establish a spiritual kingdom, but he was born to be the Savior. He was born to be your Savior. He was born to be my Savior he was born to be rejected and suffer and die and through that process pay the penalty for our sins and make it possible for us to be at peace with God. That's why Jesus was born. He was born to bring spiritual peace to men and that's what makes the gospel a message of good news. 
That's why the angels are celebrating and praising God for the birth of Jesus. And that's why we need to celebrate and praise God every single day. You see, while Jesus' amazing birth is not the end of his precious story, we need to consider it this weekend because it's a big part of the story. It's a significant part of the story. It's a necessary part of the story. It is unlike any other event in the history of the world, and praise God for it. And praise God for all the events that will follow his birth that we're going to be talking about today and tomorrow, Lord willing. Thank you so much for your attention. I really appreciate it. God bless you. I look forward to more studying from the Word of God. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.